So, let's see some new faces. My face is also new, if you are new. Uh, my name is Chris. I am one of the uh, pastors of this congregation, this church, um, with Daniel and Ephraim. You may not know it if you are uh, fairly new to the congregation over the last 45 days, because my family has been on the road the last 45 days. So, um, I have a disorder. It's called multiple personalities. And so, as long as glasses are on or glasses are off, and I know this is a running joke, but it's actually kind of becoming a reality. My name is Chris Frankie. I was born with that name. I was given that name, Christopher James Frankie, uh, if my mother is watching. Uh, and yet, in 2008, as a struggling messianic artist, and don't worry, in 2021, I'm still a struggling messianic artist. There's only one or two successful living off of their income from music artists, and uh, both of them are in the Messianic Jewish movement. And so um, I am not a part of that, that denomination. I am an independent Messianic Christian, and so I'm a struggling Messianic artist, just a little bit grayer. But at that time, I had no money. And so we were attempting to release some songs that I had written in 2008. And after about 50 different names, uh, every combination under the sun, uh, for all of uh, our young folks here, those were in the days of MySpace. Um, you wait, MySpace will make a comeback. Uh, Tom is lurking out there. Tom was never as creepy as Mr. Zuckerberg, so... Uh, you never know how good you have it until it's gone. But in the days of MySpace, uh, there's all kinds of musicians. There was all kinds of people like that. And uh, um, Chris Frankie is a kind of really creepy-looking dude who won a bunch of Grammys for, uh, like, instrumental music for, like, Babylon 5 and some of the uh, sci-fi-based uh, television shows and stuff like that. And so... Um, I was just a younger, creepier-looking Chris Frankie, but I didn't have money to compete on the internet with him. And so we finally settled on a name of a band that I was involved with in, uh, I think it was the end of high school, first part of college, uh, called Mason Clover. I know that that band had broken up. And so then the personality, the other side, the Toby Maguire to Spider-Man, if I'm saying that right. I don't even know the new guy's name, Tom Holland, I think. Um, then I had the, there you go, I got, a, I got an amen from one of the kids. So I did something right today. Uh, I, I, I got Spider-Man into a sermon before I even started preaching. So, um, so every year we travel uh, as a family to minister around the country. And we tried to condense that after Sukkot, given our responsibilities here in this area for the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, so we went basically coast to coast, a little bit over 6,000 miles in about 45 days, and we're not technically done. Uh, we'll be in Austin next weekend. And I'm getting announcements in, kind of like welcome back. Uh, so next week, we will not have in-person services. Um, we will be online only. And so Matt Knapper, uh, who is one of the pastors of the Saturday Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. Some of you met him after Sukkot this year. Uh, super smart guy, super great guy. He has put together a teaching uh, for us for next week. And so we'll have all new broadcasts. The service will be online, but we will be, uh, we will be online only next week. And so I apologize for that. But 
at least there will be something for you who want to engage with that. Uh, you can do that over coffee or hot chocolate, and you won't have to worry about whether people call it Christmas Day or not. It will just be the Sabbath day. So you can do that next week, and uh, then we'll be back together after that, which I believe is like the 8th. Uh, so the second Saturday in January, we'll be back together. Because next week we won't be in person, we're actually going to do table fellowship on the second Saturday of January. So that's, I believe, the 8th or the 9th um, in there. And so we will do table fellowship for that week because then Daniel will be on the road ministering at a youth camp in Texas after that. And so we're doing our best to try to pastor and then at the same point in time go where the Lord is inviting us and allowing us to go and, uh, and be gracious for those invitations. Um, Nathan Harmon will be here as a guest speaker in the middle of January. So uh, if any of you guys have been here while Nathan and his family has been here, they will be here for that. And so we're excited to have them here for that as well. So a lot of things going on. Um, Pastor Brent Avery is also going to be uh, doing a series, a multiple-week series coming up. Uh, I believe it's in February or March. Um, and so just a lot of new things, a lot of, a lot of cool things happening uh, in, the, in the church and in the community. And so um, try to catch you up with all of that before we get into the message. Um, if you know me, you know that uh, I have been walking in the tour of the Feast of Festivals since 2007. You also know that I fundamentally believe that our journey with God should not stop just with the keeping of the feasts and the festivals and pursuing the, the Torah as our guide in our life. That this should be a journey that we should have until we take our last final breath. One, to grow in intimacy with God. One, to grow in intimacy with the power of the Holy Spirit by which God himself in the form of Jesus, Yeshua, said would be for our help. That it would be for our help and our benefit that the Holy Spirit would come. And so as, as we go through the, the feast cycles every year, my family and myself, we, we find ourselves constantly reevaluating how and why we do what we do. It's not just like, hey, in 2007, we decided we're going to keep Passover this way, and every year we keep Passover the same way. No, we've been on multiple different calendars, and we've done different types of Passovers. We had a year where I canceled Passover due to the attitude of my children, and I forced all of them to sit down and watch The Passion of the Christ. Um, my youngest two are still scared to death of the, the intro scenes where the actor who plays the adversary is kind of lurking with the white face all makeuped up and everything. And so we don't do everything right. We don't do everything wrong. We just continue to press towards the Father. And our goal is always if we're going to fall, we want to fall towards the Father. Well, I have a unique opportunity today because today is a day that is celebrated by tons of people around the world. It is a day that some believe Messiah was born. It is a day that some just celebrate the birth of Messiah. It is a day that people gather together with their family and they celebrate whatever a fake guy in a red suit put underneath their tree. And there is no Messiah, there is no biblical, there's no scriptural element in their practice at all. It's Christmas Day has become a massively secular type of custom in the United States of America. It has become a day where 
we often forget that we are one of the most blessed nations in the history of time, and we lavish even more blessings into ourselves, only to be thrown away or broken 30 days from now. Yet over the course of the last 24 hours, upwards of 2.8 billion people have gathered in churches all over the world to celebrate the birth of Yeshua. To retell and remember the biblical accounts of God taking on flesh and being born in a temporary dwelling, not fit for a king. Learning how heavens had opened and revealed themselves to men in a field, proclaiming, and a beautiful, I, I just imagine it when I read it, a beautiful chorus when you hear the heavens proclaim in, from the supernatural into the natural realm that God was birthed as man. How the men traveled with gifts fit for a king to see if what the heavens had proclaimed was actually true. How a pattern of sinful behavior finally had a solution to right the original wrongs committed by Adam. We all know the stories. When you read the Bible, it was just a spiral upon spiral upon spiral. An apple, a deception spiraled out of control, even to the point where God had to show mercy to his people by flooding the earth to try to get us to go back, to stop killing each other and stealing from each other and hating each other. A story that was foretold before the foundations of the world. Now I know as I start going in this, and I'm not one who normally reads my notes, but I'm going to read my notes pretty, pretty close because we're on a day where there's not a lot of wiggle room. And if you can't tell already by the fact that I'm standing on this gigantic stage, I am a tall guy. I don't walk tight ropes well. When I fall, it's a long way down. It's why I don't ski. It's why I don't walk on tight ropes. But today I do feel like because we are on the Sabbath, it is, it is also Christmas Day, and there are a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions either side on this day. I want to be very careful. And so, yes, I understand. It sounds like I'm telling a Christmas message and I'm telling you the birth of Yeshua's story. Obviously, Silent Night, but I changed Silent Night to put a cross on the top of it. So I redeemed the manger story by putting the cross there. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to be comfortable because ultimately at the end of the day, all of us are trying to grow closer to God. I've been walking in the Torah since 2007 and as many times as I want to be mad at somebody for a tree, or I want to be mad at them for a cross, or I want to be mad at them for something else, if I were opening up my closet, they would have a right to have a, the same type of issue. Because idolatry, and this isn't even in my notes, so I'm sorry. I'm already off on a tangent. This is what I do. Sorry, guys. This is why they don't give me the microphone except to sing songs. So, uh, Idolatry is the root issue. Idolatry is an issue that is far bigger than any specific day in this culture. Idolatry in the United States of America is everywhere. Everywhere. Our own house worshipped Donald Trump. That's idolatry. Jesus saves, not me, not you, not Donald Trump. Not Joe Biden, not Barack Obama, not anybody in the political spectrum. It says the government will rest on his shoulders. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not a smart man. Daniel will tell you, I am not a smart man. But if it says that the government will rest on his shoulders, well, logically speaking, I would think that's the spiritual government. You know, we had the, the Levitical priesthood who operated and kept the daily sacrificial system going. If there's a temple that is ever rebuilt, which is a hot debate, um, they will be there. They will be practicing at the altar. If there is no temple but the altar is set up, the Levitical system will be. But the system of that, as well as our political system and everybody else, it rests on the shoulders of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. A story that was foretold before the foundations of the world. The story of the birth of Messiah, <laughs> it's overlooked and it's caused, I, I made the mistake last night of going to Erev Shabbat service at Timber Creek here, um, just so happened to be Christmas Eve service too, but guess what, it, the sun was down, it was Erev Shabbat service, and I heard the story of the birth of Jesus again. My kids, again, were able to hear that. My kids keep, keep the Sabbath. My kids eat biblically clean. My kids have been walking in this their entire life. None of my children have ever celebrated Christmas. I haven't celebrated, I stopped celebrating Christmas before I became a Messianic believer. And I posted a picture ushering in and all they could see was that. The birth of Messiah has been watered down in our culture to things, to things. Whether it be a manger, whether it be a tree, whether it be whatever, we're talking about the fact, look, we have a lot of babies in this room. Babies grow up to be kings. But there is only one time that a king became a baby. Only one. Only one. And granted, not December 25th. We have to stop missing the point. The point is that we need each other now more than ever. We need each other now more than ever. We need believers to stand up with the gifts that were put in them before they were conceived by their mother and their father and walk in the power of that gift inside our communities, inside our churches. Why? Because ultimately, if we're too busy fighting in here, we're doing nothing out there. And people are dying. They're dying. They don't know salvation. They don't know Jesus. They don't know Messiah. They don't care about Messiah. Their salvation is a tree or gifts. We've watered down the birth of Yeshua to a secular holiday. Or we've completely abandoned the birth of Yeshua. Yes, I think he was born in tabernacles. Oh, really? Can, what does your family do? What's, what's some interesting things that you do for that? Oh, um, well, we listen to Christmas music. Okay, so what do you do to acknowledge that a king became a baby? Why? Why did he become a baby for every single one of you? Kids, look at me. If you get anything out of this message... Yeshua died so that you can have everlasting life. I know nothing else. I am not a smart man. I know nothing else. That is the most important thing. The king became a baby and was born just like every other baby. Let that sink in for a second. But unlike all other births, God took on flesh to execute a perfect plan of salvation. 
and of redemption. Like all other births, Mary endured pain, suffering. I mean, it was, it was the birth of a child. As the moms in this room step back and think of what it felt like to birth their babies and to bring them into the world, Mary felt the same way. And no, she didn't have drugs. She didn't have ibuprofen. She didn't have any of that. There wasn't a drip IV going on. My guess is it probably smelled pretty bad too. And when you're in that moment, Joseph was already, I mean, Joseph was in a rough position. Like he's getting ready to marry this woman. All of a sudden she's pregnant. And you got to think the guy's like, is she telling me the truth? Like, did she really not like do the thing? Like, we, we water it down into this mentality, but like if you actually step back and think about it, these were real life people. This, this isn't characters in a cartoon. These are real life people. Mary went through childbirth and birthed the living God who is offered salvation. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father in how you walk out the Torah. Nobody can come to the Father and whether or not you keep the Sabbath correct or you eat correct or you do anything. You cannot come to the Father except through the Son. And he said it, so I believe it. It's not my place to question him. Can you imagine the emotions that Mary and Joseph felt that night? Yeshua was a baby. He was the first child born to parents who were not in the comfort of their own home. A hospital's bad enough. I've had kids at home and I've had kids in a hospital. And the only thing good about the hospital after you're done is the fact that you can normally have DoorDash food there. And this is before we had Grubhub and DoorDash. And I know it's a Sabbath and you're all like, oh, he's promoting eating on the Sabbath day. DoorDash it the day before. But you can DoorDash in this juicy hamburger after you watch your wife go through hours and hours of agonizing childbirth and you're exhausted. I'm exhausted. I, best night's sleep I have is when my wife has a baby. That, that night, man, I sleep well. It's amazing that we've been able to be married almost 18 years. But Mary, she was filled with all and Joseph were filled with all those same emotions. And a temporary dwelling could have been in Passover, could have been the fall feast, could have been any of these times. Theoretically, could have been in December too. It is actually a possibility. Don't believe it, but could be. Messiah grew up in a small town. Nothing about the birth of Yeshua was royalty. Nothing. He didn't come in and wasn't born in this beautiful hospital with a doctor who looked like McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy. He was born in a temporary hut because there was no room in the inn. The friends and family weren't there. It wasn't like... All of a sudden you have a baby and everybody's come in and it's like, oh my gosh, your baby is beautiful and your mom cries with you and your dad's like, good job, son. And none of that happened. They were by themselves. Living in a small town, 
working in a job of carpentry. And that goes a couple different ways in that cultural time. But it wasn't, again, the guy wasn't walking around with a PhD. He wasn't walking around going to Norman North. He didn't live in a house like Bob Stoops a mile up the road. It was a lowly beginning for the greatest human who ever walked the face of the earth. We also know that just like any child, Yeshua caused some worries and some problems for his parents. They were leaving. He's stuck behind. You know, he wants to teach the law. So Yeshua was a human baby. We spent a lot of time talking about Yeshua's ministry and how revolutionary that was. But a lot of times we just, we, we gloss over in our, our messianic faith, we gloss over the fact that he was, he was a normal child to normal parents. There was normal emotions. There was a family. There was friendships. The chosen, I wanted so bad to not like the chosen. So many Christian publications that are out there, videos, movies, everything. And with the exception of McGee and me, none of them were ever any good. McGee and me is the most revolutionary thing I've ever watched, and now I need to go home and watch it again. Man, it's been a long time. But The Chosen does a fantastic job of actually showing the disciples and Mary and these people and their personalities. And while there's, there's definitely some creative liberties that are taken, you finally get to see in, in what I think is a phenomenal quality what Matthew maybe was like, what Peter maybe was like, what Yeshua might have been like in his temperament. And again, we don't know for fact, but we do know that Matthew was a tax collector. We have some information there, and so tax collectors are no, normally left brain. So it makes sense that when you watch The Chosen and you see how Matthew processes and you see how they interact with each other, by looking at the Bible through multiple different ways, not just from a knowledge base or a historical base, you really get to understand and allow the Holy Spirit to really work in your heart. And while it's important to understand the historical elements of that, there has to be more than just that in your walk with God. You can't just love the Lord your God with all of your mind. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul in your mind. Before Messiah could walk through the pieces of the covenant on the cross and announce the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he was like all the prophets who had come before him. He had announced the coming of the kingdom and to help usher in a time of repentance. Mark chapter 8 shows us that Yeshua was hesitant to reveal himself as being the Messiah in public. It was only when he was really pressed and it was necessary that he announced who he was. If you look in the majority of the gospel accounts, he's actually kind of snarky because they're, they're like, are you the Messiah? It's like, well, you say I am. All I know is if 
I were to answer Daniel Musson every day that we work together, if I were to answer him in parables or in snarky type of comments back, it's like, well, that's what you said. Like, he punched me. But the Messiah, who's not going around elevating himself up, is kind of snarky. He's kind of snarky there. I personally like it. My snarky level is like 11 on a 10 scale. But it was only when Messiah was pressed and it was necessary that he would announce his official role, who he was. Messiah spoke in parables. He often wasn't very direct. You know, now, nowadays we, we want to turn on a podcast or we want to go to a church or we want to have a conversation with somebody and we want them to just be direct. Just give me the information because I'm really busy and I need to go. Michael, I need to know how to fix this electrical problem. And he's like, well, really, I need you to send me a picture of what you're doing. He's like, just tell me how to solve the problem. Well, I can't do that until we do this. And you know electricity, the current flows this way. Michael, just tell me how to solve the problem. That's, that's how most of us are today. It's, I'm busy, I gotta go. Let me know what we gotta do, let's do it. Messiah spoke in parables. He, he spoke in ways that made you think and learn the meaning of what it was he was trying to tell you in multiple facets. It wasn't just black and white in how he was trying to tell you. So approaching our return to the Father in his ways, his feasts, his festivals, the Torah, why do we want it in black and white? Why? Because it's easier that way. It's easier for us to just say, oh, well, you know, Pastor Chris told me that if I do this, then I'm going to hell. If I don't do this, then I'm not going, I'm not going to hell. That's super simple for me. I don't have to worry about it. But even the Torah is not black and white. The Torah was not complete. Moshe, now you got me saying Moshe. Moses, right? Moses, it's a running joke that like, like he says Moshe and Aharon and all that. And like all of a sudden I just, I don't even know the last time I said a Moshe when I wasn't mocking you. So I need to apologize to you for mocking you because God just humbled me straight on the stage. So I have now repented in front of all of you for mocking him with, with Moshe. And God made it come out of my mouth in the more Hebrew term than normally I would have been. But ultimately when you look at those parables and you look at those times that God spoke, he really wanted you to be able to go back and seek him. Everything in the Bible is about developing a relationship with God. It's not about exclusively developing a relationship with a pastor or with another individual. No, you, you, ultimately your relationship with God is supposed to be your relationship with God. And your relationship with other people, whether they're in leadership or non-leadership, they're friends, they're peers, they're underneath you, they're subordinates, whatever level they have, ultimately that should help push each of you back towards your individual relationship with God. And then the feast days are the corporate gatherings where we all come together. Messiah wasn't just merely a teacher of the law. You know, the apostles weren't just merely teachers of the law. I hear that all the time. No, they weren't. There wasn't a classroom. There wasn't an online Zoom call. They didn't start off their stuff, did you know? Or have you read these books? No, they were more than just teachers. 
They were more than just teachers in a classroom trying to give out some sort of syllabus to teach somebody something. They were about going and leading by actions. And by leading by actions, they could dialogue with each other. And people could actually see the Torah in the living flesh operate. They could see if the living Torah smiled. They could see if the living Torah was frustrated. They could see if the word of God had emotions if there was a spirit or a soul behind the words. The birth of Yeshua was to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. To utterly destroy the sin of man, the first Adam. The sin by which we still struggle with every single day. To provide a way back to the Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God. Adam couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it, David couldn't do it, Joseph couldn't do it, Esther couldn't do it. All of these wise people in the Bible were used as a foreshadow of a king who became a baby. That's revolutionary. Revolutionary. And yet... Some in this world, and it's growing, unfortunately, want to deny that there ever was a Christ, which is absolutely the spirit of the anti-Messiah. They, de they want to deny that this king who became a baby and took on flesh is deity or of God, which again is the spirit of the anti-Christ. And Yeshua references himself as the son of man. This is an idiom that ties back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel was a prophet to Israel. If you have been in the Messianic movement for any period of time, Daniel is very famous for his eschatological timeline. There are people who have made a name for themselves predicting the end of the world using that timeline. But Daniel chapter 7 gives us something really important here. Yeshua refers to himself as the son of man. An idiom that ties into chapter 7. A connection that referred to a unique individual who would ride on the clouds. And proclaim his divinity through the lens of the Old Testament, the Torah. We're all familiar with that, I believe. This figure also comes with the authority of God who was the ancient of days. This is just one. You know, I didn't have a chance to talk with Brent before he gave his message last week. And I had already sent my notes to Daniel to review. Daniel is, is, is like my dad. He keeps me in line because I really do need to. And because he didn't have any sons, I get to be the, the little child that he has. So... He does a good job of keeping me in line. But I had already sent him there, and then I went back and listened to Brent's message. And Brent just straight slayed it. Unlocking the treasure troves. If you weren't here last week or you didn't hear, please go to our YouTube channel. It's free up there. We've cut down the service to just the message. The treasure trove of prophecies of Messiah claiming to be the Messiah using all the prerequisites of Messiah to the Hebrew people. 
the Son of Man, a figure who comes with the authority of God. Through the title of the Son of Man, Messiah's works and teachings then come with the authority of the King. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. His teachings were equal to the law. The letters in red, when God spoke to Moshe, we then get a follow-up, part two, when God himself speaks it to his disciples and to those where his disciples are there, and they record that. Now, again, I'm not standing up here saying that it is a literal recording. They didn't have Peter Michael Sullivan back there with his impeccable ear being able to record everything that came from Messiah's mouth so we could transcribe it word for word. A lot of these were written well after the time, and so it, it's more of who they were telling the stories of the things they saw. The imagery of slavery to freedom through the death of Messiah. The purging of the perversions that had infiltrated the temple. The casting out of the demonic forces and the spirits that were not of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I spent some time in the south and, oh man, they love the Holy Ghost. I'm still not exactly sure. I'm going to have to, I, you know, I just thought about that again and I, this is a complete rabbit trail, but Holy Ghost. There's like one translation that has it as Holy Ghost. <laughs> that dude was like, I want to be different. <laughs> Raising people from the dead and even himself providing the way for the complete forgiveness of sins. Through his title as the Son of Man, a 30-year-old revolutionized the way human beings saw God. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm, I'm going to be 40 in March. Yeshua was younger than me. I am dumb. I really struggle with, like, I don't know anything. I don't consider myself learned. There's so much in life I want to learn, and I'm still researching and all this. But yet, in his 30s, Yeshua revolutionized the entire timeline of life from the moment it was spoken into existence to the moment that it is recreated in the garden in peace. In his 30s. Man, everybody lived longer too back then. So like you think about it, it'd be very hard for, for people to see a lowly baby claiming to be a king who then in his early age is proclaiming to be the Messiah who's, who's doing all these things, calling himself the Son of Man, the one who, will, who has all authority of God, riding on the clouds. Through the same baby born in a manger, salvation had come. To announce the kingdom coming, to call the poor to hope, to release the captives, announce forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation with all of God and creation. In Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 10, Messiah makes something very clear. Although he ascends to the right hand of the Father, we are all accountable to him when he comes, the Son of Man. When he returns to restore us back to the Garden of Eden, we will be accountable for our response to the call of the kingdom. We'll be accountable for the fruit that our trees bear. Pine cones are nice. They smell great. They're fun. So are apples and oranges 
In San Diego, they had lemon trees. God made a lot of different trees. One of the most beautiful things about forests is all the different creation that God created living in harmony with one another. And no, I'm not telling you to go lock arms with a, an atheist or a Satanist and practice with them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we can unload the guns a little bit more than we cock back the hammer on other people. This world, it's tough, guys. It's full of a lot of lies. I was a little worried to come clean, a little worried going to California. You watch on the news and say California's all locked down and you can't go anywhere and blah, blah, blah. And my family was with me. It was the first time they were going to get to see the West Coast. And so we, we had a couple of days in there and we were going to go with the Harmons over to San Diego and just see some things. It's lies. Walked into a Whole Foods and there was a lot of couples who were married. And I'll leave it at that. I didn't have a mask on. They didn't say anything to me. They also didn't run up and try to convert me. They didn't try to marry me either. None of these things that we see on the news and the lies that we see or hear are, are true. They're all embellished. They're all meant to make us be divided with each other. But yet a baby came and was born so that we could all actually be brought back together in the family of God. So... If we are spending time in our faith, not working on our own hearts, working on our own lives, but trying to destroy another person's, then you are actually working against what God came to do. God actually came to save us from ourselves, to reconcile us, to bring back the kingdom of Israel, to now go one step further, one step further. He wants to take us back to the same type of inclusion and that's a scary word. So hear me out before you start. That there was when they left Egypt. In Egypt, there was Egyptians. There was probably Babylonians. There was Persians. There was all the ends on top of the Hebrews. They all went out. And when they met at the base of Mount Sinai, God spoke directly to them as one people. So let's play this back in a modern fashion here. A baby was born. So that we could be reconciled back to the kingdom. So that one day, the audible voice of God could speak to us as one people. The Baptist, the Pentecostal, the Messianic, the Messianic Jews, the, uh, yes, even the Seventh-day Adventists, the, uh, all of them, the Protestants, the Catholics, that there was a way back to that kingdom. It was no longer about what denomination you are. It was no longer about what your skin color was or what your gender was. It was about the fact that all of creation was created to be in harmony with God, and there was not a suitable way to go back to it. A baby was born from a king of all of it. Like Ephraim does so eloquently, the covenant was so strong between God and his creation that he would give his own life for you. Even when you might struggle giving your life to him. He gave his life for you. He didn't ask for anything back. He gave you the free choice to be able to accept and to walk. A baby had grown into a man who knew that his life would be cut short, that he would give his life to walk through the covenant of the pieces of our lives. 
He would lay down his life, the holy temple of his human body that he had taken on, God had taken on flesh, the human temple, knowing that it would be destroyed so that he could rebuild it in three days to provide a way back. To provide a way that God would no longer dwell in houses that were built by sticks and stones, but houses that were built with flesh and bones. The same flesh and bones that God himself took on. When day turned to night, Messiah hung on a cross. That baby who was a king to a baby, became king again. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had taken place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now it's almost noon. At noon on that day, the sun ceased from shining, and the day became a night. It was a silent night. As the clouds rolled in and the sky grew dark above Jerusalem while Yeshua was nailed to that cross, Yeshua hung and was mocked. but he didn't save himself. He saved you. He didn't defend himself when the sky had grown dark. Let's go back and be realistic for a second. If we're standing here and the lights were just to immediately go out, we'd be like, oh my gosh, there's a power flash or there's equipment failure or whatever. Can you imagine if you're standing outside on a beautiful sunny day, and I don't know if it was a beautiful sunny day. Matthew Day's not here to tell me what the uh, meteorology was for that day. But you're standing outside and it's beautiful and it's sunny and boom, day goes to night. How you could stand there and not believe that something really crazy was taking place. I don't know. Day to night for three hours. At the end of those three hours, at the end of that silent night, that was capped in the middle of the crucifixion day. Messiah completed the single greatest event this earth has ever seen. He gave his life so that you might have life, everlasting life. 
And after that silent night, the ground began to shake. Out of the tombs, the death, dead of this life arose. The saints that went before us. Can you imagine sitting there and watching tombs open up and people who had been dead, the stories that you had heard come out of the tomb? I think maybe we've missed some of the points in how we approach our messianic faith. It's not whether it's a pre-trib rapture, a mid-trib rapture, a post-trib rapture, a pan-trib. It'll all pan out in the end. I got dad jokes for days. I've been gone 45 days. I've been storing these up. We're missing the point. The point is, is that ultimately at the cross, when Messiah had breathed his last breath, the ground split. And dead people came to life. The ones who had gone before had finally found a redemption, a sacrifice, an atoning. A lot of people call a lot of different things. A lot of people argue over it. I don't really care. At the end of there's a there's a suitable suitable replacement for the death that we all deserve. A spotless baby had become a king. The exodus of sin and death, the greater exodus was complete. God had provided a way back to the gardens for those who not only had died, but were in captivity of their sin. On a silent night, freedom came through a king who became a baby who grew to be the perfect Adam. He took every stain upon his life that we deserved. And today, as over two billion people gather with their families to celebrate the birth of that king, I want us to also remember the silent night of the cross. Because if that baby had not come, if that king had not stepped down from his throne, where would our hope be? Hopefully your hope wouldn't be in me because you'd be screwed. And my hope wouldn't be in me either. What's that old Hillsong song? A thousand times I fail, yet your mercies remain. Today, as you go home, you enjoy the rest of your Sabbath. I want you to remember the single greatest event in history was the fact that a king became a baby. He died, he rose again, and he wants you to call him king. There's already a table set 
before you for your future in the kingdom. You have a seat. He has invited you. If you have not accepted Yeshua as your salvation, I ask that you see Ephraim, Daniel, and myself afterwards so that we can pray with you, that we can be with you. It's okay if you haven't. But if you feel like the Lord is calling you to his table, if you feel like the Lord is calling you back to his kingdom, come see us before you leave today. Because I don't care whether it's Christmas or the Sabbath, there's nothing more important than somebody proclaiming Yeshua as their salvation. Ephraim, will you come and close the service with the ironic blessing, please?